Welcome to People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose is a podcast of inspiring people whose stories help you see things differently, live with intentionality, elevate the way you participate in the world, and take the necessary leaps in your life to seek and find your passions. Come with us and develop the courage to wholeheartedly pursue your purpose and unleash your truest potential. For the better part of the last decade, Rich D. Amaru has been immersed in the multitude of yoga teachings across many lineages as well as a deep study of the various shamanic healing arts in South America. Rich tends to redirect questions about what style of yoga he teaches as he has thoroughly enjoyed Hatha, Ashtanga, Iyengar, and various other cleverly thought out styles and philosophies of yoga and movement medicines. Rich feels there is a wisdom to be gleaned from all of these art forms and incorporate aspects of all of them into his offering for his students. The path towards union is as varied as the faces of those that practice. Rich has been blessed to be both student and teacher across many parts of the world. From bustling cities like New York, London, Barcelona, and the Florida Keys, to deep in the rainforest of Peru, Key West, Thailand, Bali, and the, in the presence of masters in India. The amazing list of countries Rich has had the honor to be of service in is ever-growing. Rich's path to the self has included deep immersion and study in the shamanic arts, studying with individuals and tribes alike, including people of the Shipobu, Mates, and Yawanawa. Many of the lessons Rich has learned regarding his truest nature and the workings of our energetic body are interwoven into his teaching style. Rich is ever grateful for his students and honored to be able to hold space for their development. The gathering and growing of his local tribe is the highest honor and gift. Today's interview is with my ayahuascan shaman, Rich Di Amaru. He's a self-proclaimed wounded warrior. Rich and I sat down next to the beach on an island in Thailand with my friend Phil, who shared in our ceremony just two days after Rich led a small group of us through a beautiful two-day ceremony. We drank plant medicine from the Amazon and basked in an intimate world music performance put on by Rich and his assistant Dominique, who has the voice of a goddess. It was a gorgeous experience and truly a journey into my deep heart and connection with the divine. Just as had happened throughout the ceremony, in today's episode, we unpack so much of the wisdom Rich has discovered through his own journey and the roles that plant medicines, practices, people, and instruments of the divine, as he calls them, have played in the flowering of his purpose. It was an absolutely beautiful experience for me and a joy to share in this interview with my good friend Phil. Just three Americans far from the home we came from, but so at home with ourselves in this space. Enjoy today's episode with today's person of purpose, Rich Di Amaro. It's really interesting to talk to you right now because we just had a very transformational experience um, in ceremony for two days with you. And I have Phil here with me recording this interview. And I think we, we're just really interested in kind of going through your journey and how you come into who you are as a person today that now can kind of guide people on these deep inner journeys through the medicine. And it just feels like you're really living within your gift and within your purpose. I think that's something that needs to be elevated. People need to hear that. So I feel really grateful to have the opportunities to talk to you and break kind of some of the stuff down about what you're doing. There's a lot of people out there who need this kind of healing. Hopefully some people can get introduced to, to what you do and find their way into it. Through our conversation. Thank you for being here. Yeah, pleasure. I think the first thing Phil and I wanted to ask you about was, like, how does someone who's from New Jersey and was, like, a nuclear engineer, teacher, and, like, a tattoo artist, how does that kind of person <laughs> become an ayahuasca shaman? It's, it seems to be next in the lineage, right? I go from engineer to tattoo artist. Like, what do you do after that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the how, I don't have an answer for how. You know, it's just, it's just how it unfolded. I mean, I've always been kind of interested in expanded realms. Even, like, when I was uh, very young, I remember a book almost, like, fell out off the shelf at me about... Uh, it was basically a meditative book, but it was about self-hypnosis. And uh, I found it interesting and started exploring uh, consciousness and the power of, of the mind and things like that at a young age. And it always held uh, some kind of interest in the background of whatever I was doing. The short version of the story is like, I, I can kind of point to a time period when things started to change, but the how is beyond 
you know, how is any of this happening? <laughs> Maybe just, yeah, what was your process yeah. of transformation? So I did look at this, like how did this happen? Like, and that, it's just looking at the trail. As a tattoo artist, I was looking at a lot of imagery, just as an artist in general, but you know, I was a tattoo artist. And I think I just started being exposed to um, you know, the realms of consciousness and stuff, maybe through like Shinto and Buddhist art. There was interest there. So naturally, as a collector of art reference and books, you, you know, you're reading, besides the pictures, you're reading some about what it's about. And, you know, things find you. People whisper, you know, people are pointing on the path. They whisper about books that you need to read or there's just signposts along the way. Maybe you pay attention, maybe you don't. But uh, yeah, the reason I started to dissect it a little bit is because it happened to a lot of tattoo artists. Like, this was my culture, like my cultural reference point was the world of tattoo art. And I had a lot of friends who, you know, come from different backgrounds, but some of them were, you know, some of them are like gang members or criminals. Not, not that it's all tattoo artists, but like <laughs> we were kind of the pirates of society. A lot of us, all started changing around the same time, different pathways. Maybe, uh, you know, one exploring yoga, one exploring Zen meditation, one's first step was into veganism uh, or whatever. But it just all this interesting things started happening. I noticed amongst myself and, and my peers that we were changing. So my path was a combination of yoga. It started becoming an interest for no reason. Just I had a girlfriend who was into yoga and I was like, okay, let me do this. I even remember the first time I did like a yoga video. It wasn't a class, it was a video in the Shavasana at the end. Mm. You know, this moment of like peace and this particular one was uh, being led by a certain breath practice. And I just started crying. I was like, wow, okay, something's here. <laughs> because I would characterize myself as a really kind of angry youth. The anger was a distorted form of love. Is that My anger was a frustration at, at the world. You know, the injustices, the in humanities, the simple things that a few billion people put their mind to it and just decided to change could change almost overnight. But we just don't make that decision collectively. We ignore things and we... So it, it brought me a lot of rage. You know, that yoga thing I did that first time, it was a sign of that rage being expressed as something else. It's like a deep sadness that I had. So that's, you know, I started getting on the yoga path and kind of shamanism was in the background as an interest as well. A couple of profound mushroom trips beyond like the social setting. Like going with maybe one person out into the forest or whatever, and these uh, suddenly changed my perspective. DMT came into my field of awareness. It took a long time to find trust in that, and then somebody I felt like could guide me did, and yeah, it just went from there. That awareness of DMT led me to the awareness of ayahuasca, which made me dive deeper into what shamanism was and, and things like that. And then kind of all at once, we went to Peru and got our feet wet, just so to say. And started, So you went with others? I went with my partner at the time, yeah. She was dealing with the, some sickness that could not be diagnosed, which I was already understanding was just a deep, you know, knowing her and knowing her family and everything, I was understanding was kind of a deep emotional pain. And I just had this just general curiosity about ayahuasca. And we kind of said, well, these are two good reasons to go. For her pain and my curiosity. So we're like, let's do it. So we went to Peru and had our first experience there. You know, that blew the lid right off of Pandora's box. Yeah, of course, man. <laughs> there was more trips to Peru. The first time I was there, there was an interesting man, a writer, journalist, who was like starving himself at the time and drinking ayahuasca. So I decided next time I go, I want to do that. <laughs> That was, that was my hardest time ever. That was the hardest thing I did. Um, it's like 14 days of eating almost nothing, just enough to stay alive. Not that it's not possible to stay alive, but the shamans really wanted me to eat something, which was like a bite of fish maybe in the morning or a slice of potato. They were just concerned to have the energy to get through ceremony because you experienced how much energy is moving. Like, it physically, you know, you're burning calories, <laughs> like your brain's going, things oh, are burning up. Of course. And it felt like I was getting wrung out. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, you're like burning up rocket fuel, so they wanted me to eat something. <laughs> and you're drinking every night? Just about, yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah, it tore me into a million pieces, put me back together. I was receiving initiations and rites within that space to, to have me come and do this, like, kind of work. 
So, so the the medicine was giving you initiations and raised towards becoming. Yes, a it was super clear speaking, calling me in a way, and I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm like, I'm I want to go back to my rock star life as a tattoo artist and put money in my pocket every day, enjoying, just enjoying everything. So I didn't, you know, I was like, no, that's not for me. I couldn't, I couldn't picture myself yet. I couldn't envision myself in that role. It's, it's a pretty big jump, you know, <laughs> like, okay, let me give up everything that I know within my life that is my life now to go to South America yeah. and to go into this ancient rite of passage. Yeah, and it wasn't happening. I, I gave a hard no. <laughs> but, you know, I still had work to do. A man came rolling through my town. I was in Albany at the time. He's advertising this yoga and shamanism workshop. I'm like, what? You know, I'm like, I'm into yoga, I'm into shamanism, but I hadn't put the two together in any way. And he really brilliantly weaved these two concepts together. He was working with shamanism kind of, uh, that was presented to him through his, he had an Andean teacher from Peru, but more in the mountains. And he was a yogi, a yoga teacher. And uh, I did one class with him and I felt this like gateway opening. I'm like, oh, this is my next step. Like, I know what I'm doing. I said to him, I go, man, I, I've had moments in my life like this before where all of a sudden I'm presented with this space, this opportunity, and it's just like, it's vibrating so strong. You know? so, so I'm going to come to your teacher training. I'm going to come. And I did. And uh, you know, that was over the course of a year. This teacher, he, he really brilliantly wove together these uh, concepts of shamanism and, and yoga. And he was pulling sources from like Chinese medicine, and I came to understand more of what he was teaching later. But the point is, is like there's this, this whole period of time where I was just getting you know, flooded with perspectives. Yoga, Buddhism, Hinduism, lucid dreaming, binaural beats, mind fields. And just like, it was just all of a sudden came at once from having zero interest to just this explosive amount of interest, inspiration of uh, ideas for me to follow. So a trail opened up and I, I took it. You mentioned like uh, giving up everything you own and all that stuff. Well, that happened for me the best way that could. It's with a woman. <laughs> I met a woman in Peru on a trip there. We fell in love. We made plans. We you know, did all that fun stuff that you do when you're in love. And I was going to go to the UK to stay with her. And that resulted in me starting to get rid of everything I own and really starting to look at what I want to do with my life in a different way. And as I got to that point of like completely shedding everything and really detaching, which was such a beautiful process, like the time, that time of just giving my stuff away, feeling resistance to it and then doing it anyway and just feeling the vibrations and the lightening of my being, just lightening, getting rid of all this stuff. It was work, you know, but it was amazing. I, I could almost say like it became so, such a good feeling, you get addicted to it. And it's like, ah, this, how can I keep shedding? So we got to that point where I had really not much of anything. I was already ready to leave my business and everything, and our relationship kind of unexpectedly ended uh, for me. I kind of was like, had no direction. Like I couldn't really go back to my business. It didn't have interest for me anymore. I went to the UK just because that's where I was headed. I felt like I had to go anyway and maybe meet some people and do some things is what I did. But I had a friend who was in Peru who said who had a place and was like, hey, anytime you ever want to come visit, you're welcome to. And that was like the only thing that inspired me and through serendipity and following the trail of coincidences and all these things, it made a lot of sense for me, like that's where I need to go. This woman who's still like one of my best friends and closest people, like she helped me go to Peru. She gave me a nice gift that could make me feel really secure of spending as much time as I needed to go down there and do so with, with ease of mind not having to wonder like what am I going to do to support myself while I'm like just living in the jungle. What was that gift that she did? Like mo monetary gift, you know. She, she gave enough money to offered, live for more, for more. She offered to, well, for a long time, she offered to help me, you know. I had money saved up anyway because I was, you know, I was in this transition point so I was just stacking my money to move to another country and start a new life and she supplemented. That was how I, I decided just to end up doing that, leaving everything and going to live in the jungle. So that's what I did. <laughs> wow. What I'm hearing is basically a relationship that soured, that kind of was a, a major force for transforming you from clinging to some of your past life to fully shedding it and letting go and yeah. saying yes to the I'd never say it soured, though. I'd say it ripened because it's the best gift that I ever had was that 
that letting go, you know. Did you understand that it, there was a ripening when it happened, or were no, you feeling I was really in a lot of pain? It was, it was very painful for me. It brought up the next wave of things I needed to heal within myself because I was already going through massive healing processes. Years of drinking ayahuasca and going to the jungle and shamanic training as well. Like, you know, I mistakenly thought what, what training would be, you know, how personal it was to our own, own development and healing. So that uh, pain that was brought forth from the relationship changing uh, was the next wave of things that needed to go. And where better to do it? I was fully supported living in the jungle, you know, with nowhere to go, nothing to do, no one to be. This concept of a shaman is like a, a wounded healer. You know, we're all wounded, but it's really honoring this idea of someone who first they took the time to, and care to take care of themselves in a, in a deep, deep way. Cultures have different contexts as to what a shaman is. Uh, this word's pretty loaded at this time, in, in this period of the way things are now, so I don't even like this term that much. Not that I don't like it, it's just, it's too loaded. How would you simply it, define it? comes it? with too much expectation and, and projection. Uh, yeah, just that, it's a, you know, a wounded healer. Uh, what I really like is um, a guide. You know, there's the people along the way who are going to these marker posts along the way and can point in the direction. No one's going to tell you that this is the way you have to do it, but we need signs, we need people who can inspire without really opening their mouth, you know? They can just inspire by their state of being. And maybe for you, that, that that's the person who can point in a direction that's going to work for you. Other people, it's not going to be the same. That's the brilliance of, of life is that we have so many you know, infinite ways to journey, to, to journey within, to figure out who we are, and to start to work with that, you know, take a, take responsibility for ourselves and start to work with that. That's, if I was to refer to myself in any way, this term guide feels the best. You know? I noticed for myself, one of the things that really resonated about you as my guide or shaman was that level of humility and vulnerability you show. I guess I kind of came into ceremony with a little bit of a preconception that a shaman is someone that's, you know, enlightened way beyond my level of enlightenment. And they've got their stuff well, very well figured out. And there's a certain degree of that. Like you hold the space, you speak the, work, the wisdom. But I think what made it so resonant for me was that, I mean, you're an American who like has kind of had this whole journey of unfolding. You weren't just born into it. But then even more than that, it's like, you're trying to play guitar on ayahuasca and you're like are failing over and over again <laughs> and you're laughing at your mistakes and we're laughing with you and like I just think it's really beautiful in those moments to see that humanity you still bring forward you're not like a god to us in that kind of role and I just really really appreciate how you bring that into your ceremony mm, thanks yeah man like we can't take ourselves too seriously you yeah. know, there's a lot of what I would say spiritual leaders who I don't know, like they just take themselves way too seriously. And I think humor is a very good indication of like true enlightenment, you know? <laughs> and uh, you use this word, speak the wisdom. There's nothing I say that wasn't directly experienced, you know? Transmit the better word? Yeah, I mean, I meet people who you could tell what books they read. They're just repeating something, you know? And, but you can't feel it from them. Where versus, there's nothing I'm saying that wasn't directly experienced and down and, you know, through my way. There's lots of wisdom that I won't speak because I, I don't feel it's for me. You know, it seems wise and oh yeah, but actually maybe I disagree because it's not part of my uh, perspective. What are your thoughts on some of these other shamans in their other domains? Say like a pastor in Christianity or one of the leaders of the monks or enlightened beings in India. Like these kind of people carry a power over masses of people in, in some occasions. But there's a certain level, I noticed growing up in Christianity in the U.S., there's a certain level of elitism, or this is the one true right path, anything else you follow is straying away from it. How do people kind of remove some of that baggage that they've been told throughout their life that along a specific domain, when they, when they are giving their trust to somebody to be their guide or their shaman? Well, yeah, what you're describing is dogma. It's like, you know, my, my way is the universal law. Yeah. I mean, anyone speaking this needs just to be ignored. Like, that's step one, is just to realize that there is no universal law. And they're just selling you something. These people who uh, 
want to exert their power, again, that's indicative of them not understanding power, not understanding grace. I don't need to exert my power over anybody. I don't want power over anybody. I choose to empower people. People that use this, this notion of having power over things, it's coming from a, an insecurity. Of, of deep down inside, they, they, uh, they don't have the level of faith and trust that is required to surrender power. We talk about control, right? this illusion of control. Well, it's the same way. And yeah, from a certain perspective, we could say they're very powerful. But power is always just its a concept, and it's just something granted by the people. Power is not real. It doesn't exist. Yeah. It's an illusion, and it's an illusion perpetuated by those being controlled, not by those in control. What do I say about, like, what's an antidote to that or, or a preventative measure? There isn't one. People either just wake up to it or they don't. The thing is that there is the opposite out there, and... There's humility and there's, there's you know, humble beings that walk the earth transmitting it's what we'd call enlightened energy or whatever. No one even knows what enlightenment is. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, they inspire. And they inspire in a way that empowers people. But them walking around doesn't mean that you're going to give up, you know, your need to be controlled. So, again, it's... Who's to say... Why was I inspired to be something? Why was I, Why are other people not? This is grace. This is the mystery that there is no answer for. Uh, and it's, it's beautiful. That's why you can only just constantly say thank you, is that we, we did see through the, the illusion and decide to take responsibility for ourselves and stop giving it to you know religious leaders and dogmas that only want to take you down a level. Yeah. I noticed like on my ayahuasca journey, like, my first ever one I shared with you and I thought a lot about the process of my own like path unfolding and how sometimes there's wide open freeway and I'm zooming and it's free and it's really great and I know I'm aligned and then all of a sudden there's a roadblock and then there's a bump and then I fall and then there's a red light that makes me wait 10 minutes and then there's stop and go traffic and then I got to wait for somebody to join and that person wants me to drop them off somewhere. And I'm just thinking about how this is such a metaphor for how we all kind of are navigating our own lives. There's not like a certain pace we, we must move or a certain timeline we must stake our expectations upon or certain things we find along the way that we need to be expecting. But at the same time, I, I feel very deeply compelled to live life very purposefully and aligned with like my, my true nature. And, and live in a way that's for the benefit of all beings, like you speak about. How has the medicine and the shamanism path like, uh, helped you to understand things like trust, faith, patience mm. in your own journey? You know, just throwing yourself off the cliff enough times to realize you keep flying. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. There's this like meme, no? Like uh, <laughs> Facebook meme you see once in a while, this spiritual idea of leaping and being held and flying yeah i don't know man I don't, I don't know again i don't i don't have any sense of or identity with control or choice or or even like i'm not sure i'm doing anything ever if it feels that way we're given this nice idea of like oh i made the choice but did I? If I didn't choose then, would I not have been directed into a way of which I would have chosen again later? Yeah. So as you said, you know, there's all this idea of like, oh, everything's flowing, or everything's bumpy and not flowing. That's just from an ego perspective of yeah. like, uh, my teacher, Ray, this, the, one of the yoga and shamanism guy, his name is Ray Christ. He, you know, he, he taught a lot about resistance and resistance being celebrated as, you know, life basically pointing you that you need to go another direction or you need to find another way or, or whatever. It's, it's Resistance doesn't mean stop going, but it means like the way in which you're going isn't the easiest for you or, or isn't the way that wants you to, that wants to direct you. So when we feel resistances, when we feel little hiccups on the way, you know, this is my perspective. I get excited. I don't feel like, oh, everything was flowing and now it's not. I get excited that I'm, that I'm being guided. And I get inspired to think outside my box. 
the proverbial silver lining in the clouds. You know, it's like, oh, okay. Even something shit happens, and you're like, oh, man. You know, of course, my natural reaction is to be like, oh, why this happened to me, or whatever. But through training, through discipline of practice, yeah. I've learned that to instead get excited and focus on the possible beneficial outcomes of a, of a road bump, a roadblock, that that's become my reality set. So when I hit a roadblock, I immediately get excited, and then I'm looking for that thing. And maybe a week or two goes by, and then all, all of a sudden it, it becomes perfectly clear, ah, that roadblock, yeah, I wouldn't be here right now, in this, doing this right now, in this amazing thing, if I kept going the way I thought I wanted to go, if I kept pushing in the direction I thought I wanted to push. So through that practice, uh, you know, this, this all comes down to this word faith, right? Yeah. It's just faith. I don't know what word, it's faith in yourself, faith in a higher power, you know, everyone responds to these ideas differently. Some of them are very triggering for people. Yeah. It was for me, I came from like hardcore Roman Catholic background and seeing the hypocrisy and the abuse of wealth and abuse of power. I was disgusted by it and I rejected it totally, which forced me to reject all spirituality and notions of God or greater powers or internal beings or souls or, or anything. I think a lot of people are struggling with this right now. Right. But they so, have a sense that there is something greater than, than themselves. Yeah, they're struggling because there's inner conflict because they despise the control systems that are, you know, using spiritual ideas for power, they despise it, but they, yet they still have a sense that there's something bigger than them, and they just don't know what to do. So, you know, this collective ennui over the planet and frustration, and not over the planet, but like of the Matrix type world. You know, the people in the third world countries, the people who are suffering, like from our comfort zone perspective, they're they're way happier. You know, of course, uh, we've all experienced that yeah, traveling around the world. They're sure. way happier. It's it's almost funny that we like pity them or we want to do something. You know, like oh, they don't have what we have, so they they must not be happy. They also don't have as much of the desire right, that comes with that. Right, it's desire. It's more slash addiction. I think slash it's status games. It's it's mostly they're just in contact with that inner sense of something greater, and they don't need an ism to tell them what to do with it. They don't need a shamanism, they don't need a Hinduism, they don't need a Christianity. They don't need it in anything. They're just rested in that sense. They form their own way. Yeah. You know, that's what's cool. Like we call it like the cosmovision. Like every tribe in South America has a slightly different cosmovision. Meaning their vision of what the cosmos are, the order of life in the world and the universe. Each one is it's unique, it's their own. It's the rules by which they decided to play reality. But it was because it was developed by themselves, and it's it's not such a dogma. It doesn't. It's very broad. It leaves a lot of space for their own personal interpretation. There's no use of it to, to take power over anything. And because they have they have contact with this just greater sense, and they give gratitude to it, mm-hmm. and they sh- and they sh- celebrate it. They celebrate it as life. It's maybe maybe their only sense of the spiritual is life. The spirit. They celebrate life, and that's their god. Life. Uh, because of that, you know, they're just more plugged in. They're, they have a deeper sense of resonance of happiness. You spoke of this concept in our sharing circle about instruments of the divine. And that, that really sparked a lot of thoughts for me. How do we get better at hearing these instruments of the divine and tuning into them in a way that we allow them to move our lives, shift our focuses and refine our intentions, look more inward. And, and, and what does instruments of the divine mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't remember the context of where I said that, but I can speak on it. How to get better at it. Let me, for me, let me ask or answer the other, like, what are instruments of the divine? Like, well, there's nothing that's outside of the divine, right? Everything is an instrument of the divine, but, you know, I know what you're saying. There seems to be certain things we're, you know, we're put here on the planet with to guide us. We have emotions, and emotions are our compass. We have uh, one particular emotion I find fascinating is excitement. Mm. There certainly is no scientific explanation for excitement. There's ways of describing excitement. We talk about dopamine and serotonin and feedback, you know, like this, but why does that exist? Like, why do we have the ability to have pleasure? 
And excitement isn't pleasure. It's something different. But excitement gives us pleasure. We seem to like it. It's, I get excited and something feels good about it. There's addictive and there's, da there's damaging pleasures. Mm. That's okay too. I'm talking about the excitement of something that hasn't been fulfilled yet. The excitement that an idea brings. The excitement that something, an interaction brings. Something new brings. Something unknown brings. This excitement is like the big flashing signpost saying you need to go that direction. Uh, the, the caveat to that statement is don't expect anything out of this. Like, wherever you think that direction is going to take you, don't get too attached to that idea. Because it's just forcing you to make the next step. And as soon as maybe you know you, some idea of a career excites you, and there's going to be 20 steps along the way. Like You envision, okay, it's, it's going to be A, B, and C need to occur before I get to the end goal. But you were never meant to get to C. You were only meant to get to B. And something at that point all of a sudden steps in and wants to push you in another direction. But you needed to get to B first. It's our struggling and holding on with attachment to end results that will again cause suffering. So excitement is an instrument of divine, you know, uh, in the sense that you use it. Uh, emotions are an instrument. Things like anxiety and stuff, they're just telling us we're way out of line. Not out of line, but we're way out of touch with what's actually going on. Often it's a big signal that like, you are just not paying attention whatsoever to usually or blocked by a lot of fear to where you're trying to be directed and it starts showing up in the body. But no one, you're not taught like, hey man, if you get anxiety, sit down and start to figure out, you know, maybe what's going on in your life that's not in alignment. You know, like, oh, you got a career that you hate and you went to school that you hate and you hate your wife and you hate your kids and you hate everything. And you can't admit that to yourself because you're told it's wrong. Uh, and you've invested so much of your time and energy into it. Yeah, all these things. So, of course you have anxiety, so take this pill instead. Suppress um, the feeling versus look into it deeply right. and transform it. Exactly. So our emotions are, are a big one. Uh, our health is a big one. Coincidence is a big one. When coincidences just start lining up and stacking up, life can be magic by taking a look at that and deciding like, oh, this is, this is for me. You know, and that builds excitement. And when you build excited energy, you start to move in the direction you need to move. Now, if you're like a statistician and say, oh, coincidence is just the universe, this just happens, the brain's a pattern-seeking uh, pattern device, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that too. But why is the brain a pattern-seeking device for our survival? And maybe to notice things like coincidences so we can get excited about them. Coincidence was a big one that was taught to me, at least. Uh, to follow coincidences. There's like a trail. It's like breadcrumbs, you know? I had that breadcrumbs some thought several times throughout my journey, both nights. Like, looking back at my memories and noticing where the breadcrumbs were that have led me to here. And then tuning my myself as an instrument to understand where those divine breadcrumbs are for the future. I feel much more awake to that at the moment. All these things build what we were talking about, faith. But being able to start to trust your emotions and your and your emotional body, you get faith in yourself by starting to follow the line of coincidence with joy and excitement and creating a life that is magical for yourself simply by shifting your perspective. This is surrendering more to faith. So it gets to the point where maybe you're, you have an idea that excites you, but on the other end of that, it's like this just massive fear. This massive fear that you have to break through. It's through the little victories of faith maybe before that you that you practice that allow you to take that step and just know that, okay, I'm scared to death. What am I, you can, you can analyze, what am I scared of? I'm scared of losing everything. Investment is a big one. I'm scared of losing my investment in time and energy, which is a joke because it's not real. There's no such thing as investment. Given energy, you use it, and you're given more energy, and you use it, and you're given more energy, and you use it. And investment doesn't mean anything. Investments for those who fear losing energy, who fear that it's not going to keep coming. So they mean they have to save. Oh, I have to save time to use it later. I have to save money to use it later. Of course, there's practical practicalities to investment, but on a bigger, bigger level. So you know, when you have these uh, little victories of faith, you start to build steam to take the big leaps of faith. And it only takes one or two, and then to look back and see the outcome, like, oh my God, I'm so glad I did that thing. The whole world was against me. My parents were against me. My spouse was against me. Everyone was against me, but I did it anyway. And look at me now. I know that if I feel this way ever again, I can do it again. And, and to answer your question, how I went from engineering to tattoo to shaman, 
it was big moments like that. It was like everything telling me I should just stay where I was. I have a good career. Everything, but I didn't feel it anymore. My body was starting to show. I was starting to have anxiety. I was starting to feel unhappy. And everything saying, what are you giving up? Why would you walk away from that? Every, all this fear wanted to come through. And fortunately for me, you know, I did it anyway. And after once or twice, by the time I was ready to make the third or fourth leap, I was excited for it. I go, well... I don't know what's going to come down the road for me, but Jesus Christ, I've done this enough times already. Here we go again, and it's going to be awesome. You know? <laughs> and it's more awesome than the last time, and more awesome than the last time. So you start to recognize those resistances or those fears and celebrate them. I'm like, ah, I'm afraid. Cool. Like, yeah. Cool. Something's like waking, waking in me. I think uh, the process of purging is like a little bit of a metaphor for this. Like, Yeah, for sure. I founded People of Purpose podcast to share the stories of inspiring people who I believe will help our listeners to see things differently and take the necessary leaps in their lives to seek and find their passions. It is very joyful to know that there are many people and organizations out there who share the same vision. Today, we are very ecstatic to tell you that today's People of Purpose episode will be sponsored by Podcorn. A big shout out to the platform and helping us take a step further in inspiring individuals to realize their purpose and passion. For those of you who haven't heard of Podcorn, well, it is a marketplace where podcasters like me find sponsorship opportunities with different brands. It is amazing how the platform has been offering countless opportunities to the podcast community without compromising ownership rights, transparency, or creative freedom. The best thing about Podcorn is it's very easy and simple to use. No need for these complicated how to set up these and that manuals. You know what I mean, right? It is also open to podcasts of any size. So if you're wondering that you only have one or two episodes, it's time to shake that off. You are welcome to use Podcorn. To our listeners who are starting out or already running their own podcast and are in need of brand sponsorship, you can check out Podcorn at www.podcorn.com. That is www.pod. C-O-R-N.com. You can also check out my notes for more details. Again, a big, big thanks to Podcorn for sponsoring today's episode of People of Purpose. When my purges came through my ayahuasca journey, I welcomed them and I was like, let's see what hap- what, what comes after this is out of me. And it's just such a cleanse and a clarity and a reorganization and a sigh and then I can move forward again. And you feel better. Yeah. <laughs> you just immediately feel better. It's a surrender. This is the we, we use this term a lot in medicine, surrender. And that's what you do. You can hold that puke down and you're going to suffer all night. And there's, you know, people that come and they have ideas about throwing up. Some of it like egoic, like oh, I'm not weak, I can hold it down <laughs> or whatever it is. And that's kind of life is just beating at them all the time. And they're like, I'm strong, I'm strong. But they're, you know, where's their heart? Like they're, they're protecting themselves behind all kinds of concepts and ideas. And they're not vulnerable, like we talk about. Uh, and then, if you're not vulnerable, no one can see who you are. No one can know who you are. No one can connect to your humanity. And inside, you're very lonely. Because no one knows who you are, because you won't show it. Yeah, this, this metaphor of purging, of being vulnerable, of softening and letting go, so that what can move needs to move, what can change needs to change. It's like the, the microcosm. Can we take this out a little bit, like, bigger and just talk about ayahuasca as a tool to unlock so many of these insights like what is it and how does it work in us a little bit of the cultural background hard to say for, for one it's it's a shock uh for people who haven't been exposed to peak experiences that of what we would call peak spiritual experiences now again there's nothing outside of spirituality either but we've idealized certain things Ayahuasca and washing the dishes are just as spiritual. It's just what's your perspective. We get bored with washing the dishes maybe because we feel like it's taking time from something else or it's not the most exciting thing to do. But hey, you're in a human body right now and you're taking water and you're cleaning dishes and that's that's kind of super exciting because there's a time before you couldn't do that and there'll be a time after you can't ever do that again. So, But the recognition is so much more crystallized on the ayahuasca right. experience of how special this existence is. Because it's unique. You drink ayahuasca a few thousand times and it's just like washing the dishes. For me, it's just like washing the dishes. But fortunately, it's taught me that that should be celebrated. All those things are exciting. All of them. Because I'm a living, conscious being. 
And maybe even when I'm not living, I'm still conscious. Who knows? Those of us who, you know, journey enough, start to kind of gain this familiarity, like, oh, this is kind of death. You know, this is like a gateway to death. And that's not, that doesn't need to be scary either. For people new to it, what is ayahuasca? Yes. So it's a shock. It's an awakening in some way. It's a, it, it does give you senses of unity. Uh, it does open up unity consciousness. It does open up compassion. It does open up a uh, perspective of your own life where you can treat yourself with more compassion. You can be more forgiving and loving towards yourself, which is going to translate into being more forgiving and loving and have more compassion to others. You know, it's a, <laughs> I make a joke when I say it's like a big hippie pill. You know, it's not a pill, but you know, many people all of a sudden start to realize, see the natural world around them. They're like, oh, wow, like, we have all these living beings. I wanna, I'm here. I want to help. I want to be supportive. I want to do something. Why it does that? Because that's its job. You know, again, I can't, I can't answer that question. Uh, how it does that? Again, that's its job. You know, there are certain uh, receptors that it flushes. It repairs our serotonin sites. It re- helps repair serotonin production, which is going to lead to just a more fulfilling life because it leads in a general overall sense of pleasure and well-being. So if I feel safe, if I feel secure, I start to remove my fears. I'm just generally going to be a more pleasant, we can use the word pleasant, being, a more compassionate being. And there's a constant feedback. The more happy and pleasurable you are, the more your perspective on life is happy and pleasurable, and the more people around you suddenly become pleasurable, and everything just gets better. Yeah. Again, I don't say better, but yeah, it's better. It's better than suffering all the time. It's better than being in a state of fear. It's better than being in a state... Again, it's not fear is valuable, but only if you're working with it. If you're just in the state all the time, you're not working with it. I'm just trying to dance around this word better. Yeah, but you know, from an ego perspective, being relaxed and calm and compassionate, happy is better than being afraid, anxious, and nervous, and un- unhappy. You know, I think you're kind of hinting towards the integration component of the medicine right now. Can we talk about that for a second? Yeah, absolutely. So, you're talking about how um, living with ayahuasca all the time becomes feeling like you're doing the dishes or we don't we don't want to just maintain the, the feeling of ayahuasca as like a, a thing that unlocks our our joy and then without it we don't have it like, right i think people that maybe listen to this podcast i mean for sure a lot of people haven't been introduced to ayahuasca yet but they've been introduced to some sort of spiritual practice whether it's coming out of a shavasana at the end of yoga and feeling like so like they're glowing or coming out of like a, a church worship or a concert or a, a great meal with friends. Just more like everyday kind of experiences. But then as t- time unfolds and they go back into their work and their life and their responsibilities, it's easy to lose touch with that sensation that, that is so meaningful and important. What advice do you have for integrating these sort of peak experiences and spiritual understandings with our daily lives in the physical world? Yeah, well, integration is the key component to moving on or just keep needing to go back for a fix. And the concert can be the fix. The church on Sunday could be the fix. So what to do with it is we need to create more space around ourselves to rest in it, to just be in it. If you had a peak experience, if you, if you went to a worship, a Sunday worship, and it was really powerful for you, uh, but then you go home and you turn on the television and you're uh, in, in the phone and you okay, so what? I mean, by the end of the week, you need to go do it again. Instead, That's how so much of the Christianity I've experienced is like, it's, they it's, come to Sunday as, as a way to save them again and then it falls away by Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And yeah, it's, it's, it's not even about Christianity, it's, about anything. it's same with ayahuasca, sure. you know, same with anything, like a good concert. There's a lot of opiate for the masses and uh, that's because the integration work isn't done. So first, you know, leaving that peak experience and immediately setting, settling down and rooting yourself somewhere to just reside in it longer. To sit in and feel those vibrations and feel those things and let them speak through you. You know, let them speak through you. Let, the, let your heart kind of be in that space. So what do we do? How do we do that? You know, we often say go to nature. Like nature is the, the sanctuary. Nature contains uh, less of the vibrations that are counterproductive to integration and more of the vibrations that 
reduce calm and well-being and peace of mind. So first we talk about going into nature and just being, maybe different folks have different tastes, but I don't know anyone who just like despises nature in general. <laughs> you know, maybe they're like, I hate the woods because I hate mosquitoes. Okay, that's fine. You have, you have your arguments. But, you know, like most people, when they get into this, they have some version of a quiet, natural place that really resonates for them. So that speaks of the power of nature. It's deeply ingrained in us that that is supportive. Now, there's people that can't access that. There's people that live in cities and things, and they don't have the transportation or the means to go do it. But we, can, we have plants we can bring into our house. We can make a little sanctuary in the corner of our house. You can have a little place that we designate for just for you for that that quiet downtime. So we make our own, and we can bring in a little piece of nature. We can bring in a leaf or a feather. This is like this is like shamanism. This is working with working a lot with natural objects. It's archetypes. It's bringing the energy of nature from out there to in here. Yeah. What do we need to do once we're in this space of stillness and we have nature within us, or we have these objects, or we have We've carved out this room. What do we need to do? Do we need to just meditate and be a yogi? Listen, do we need to just, take some sort of action? Like, what does that look like? We're listening and honoring the voice that's within all the time trying to push us to something else. So we're listening. We're listening to the inner voice that's trying to guide us. Uh, a lot of the inner voice that we're avoiding all the time through countless ways, social interactions, media, Video games, drugs, sex, rock and roll, you know, most people have a hard, myself included, had a hard, had or have a hard time just sitting still for a day. It starts to ping on our need to be productive and to feel valid as a being, you know, all this Especially stuff. from like where we're from. We're yeah. from like a first world Western country. Capitalism is like born and bred into yeah, exactly. our I mean, culture. My biggest work in Peru was just get, learning to be comfortable not producing. Mm-hmm. And my master gave me great wisdom. She said, you know, if you ever need to feel like you're working, just just know that no work is the hardest work. <laughs> because look at you, you're going crazy. So this is hard work. I'm like, ah, okay. <laughs> so yeah, we need to listen. We need to sit down and have this, these deep conversations with ourselves so we can feel inspired, so we can feel excitement. Journaling is a great way. You know, with, we talk about it with medicine, at least sitting down and having a conversation with yourself on a piece of paper, very valuable Seeking community beyond that, changing patterns in our lives. Nothing's going to change if you don't start changing your actions. Get up at a different time, eat different meals, like throw a wrench in your life, you know, <laughs> like just do something different. Do something that makes you uncomfortable. We talked about these instruments of the divine. Discomfort is an instrument of the divine. You're always going to expand we can use the word when you go sit in your discomfort sit in, sit in the fires of your discomfort so what makes you uncomfortable public speaking makes me uncomfortable okay go do it go practice it dancing makes me uncomfortable okay go do it maybe it's not for you to be a dancer but maybe you're going to meet someone at that dance who's going to offer you the next thing for your life or you know what i mean like don't let our small uh, imagination keep us from doing things that are bigger and beyond what we can envision but those discomforts are going to begin to change and shape us and allow us opportunities. You know, life wants you to have everything you truly deeply need and want, deeply, not on the surface. But we can make it a lot easier for life to be fulfilling by placing ourselves out there and stepping into zones of discomfort so the things that need to get to us can. If you have a very strict routine and, and you think you're in control, you're not allowing for anything and you're just super in your comfort zone all the time well how is anything going to get to you like how is something new and exciting going to find you your control has become a prison and created solitude from the you know the grace of inspiration the grace of the muse to come and bring the next thing for you so you can feel more joy and feel more open you know what i mean oh this is <laughs> the most profound thing like from you're, me right now you're, you're, a person's sense of control is the illusion that's keeping them from bigger things yeah maybe you have a ton of control great nothing's going to find you beyond what you made for yourself in this very small box and that's okay 
that's that's super great. Like I I admire people who have something very simple and can just rest in it and are truly deeply fulfilled by that. That's all we want. Is we want fulfillment. We want empowerment. We want peace of heart, peace of mind. You know, it doesn't mean you got to be some great famous thing or invent the next whatever. You know, it can be the simplest farmer who day in day out is. But they're in their purpose. You know, this, this is about purpose. We don't need to judge and label a quality of purpose. That's for you to feel. It's, it's a very individual thing. Only the only one purpose matters to is yourself. Uh, you have nothing to answer to anybody for, to show up for anybody for, to have that sense of purpose. So if you don't have that sense of purpose, now you need to start looking. Am I blocking myself with control? Is is discomfort, uh, you know, keeping me from finding my purpose? So many people, like, their purpose is just right in front of them all day long. And they're either telling themselves they can't. You know, these are things that need to be healed. It's not, it's not their fault. But, you know... And, uh, I feel like for a lot of people, that's also that jump into the unknown that you're speaking of. Yeah, it's the jump into the unknown. It's fears. It's insecurities. It's society pushing us down all the time. You know, maybe someone was just meant to be that... That their purpose is just to pick up a guitar and play it and they're not going to be famous they're not going to do much with it but it feels really good for them but because they don't have enough faith in themselves or to say like okay i need to put time and effort into this it's just sitting in the corner and it's never fulfilling its purpose its purpose and their purpose um and that's that's this attachment to a result right like Oh, I'm, not, I'm never going to be anybody, so why bother? And that's also the the projection far into the future rather than taking a step right in front of you, which right. is just to strum the strength and sit in yeah. that buyers of discomfort of not being as good as you want to be. Right, start putting time. I was really grateful. I had a moment. So, yeah, I picked up the guitar and I said, okay, guys, I'm learning guitar now. Uh, first time on ayahuasca. <laughs> and my, yeah, this happened during our ceremony. <laughs> and my fingers, my fingers aren't working and I'm laughing. And I'm having a good time. And I had, there's a moment where I recognize I'm like, I'm not embarrassed at all. Like, there's a moment like, I sh something old in me says, you should be embarrassed. And, okay, it, and it had no weight. It had no weight. You know awesome. what I mean? And I was, and I was grateful. I, I noticed it. And I was grateful. Because I didn't take myself serious. I was joyful and lightful, joyful and light about it. And everyone else could feel that. And just bounced right back to me. So we just had a really deep, heartfelt laugh. Mm -hmm. Instead of me shrinking and feeling embarrassed, you know? yeah, and and how inspiring that is for everybody else as well. And uh, I remember the first time we sat together, there was um, a guy who played his ukulele during our ceremony. And I remember he was playing and he played a few songs. He, he messed up, but he kept going and he kept going. And you know, we're all in space on the medicine, listening to him play and listening to him fail but continue to go and grow. And it was beautiful to watch that progression. I feel like that is the dance of life. And that is the, you have to be willing to, to fail and to be embarrassed and to blush and continue. And the, the stumble is a part of the dance, right? I think that's just like yeah. one of the biggest lessons I've had from this. And, and, that, and that's why I did it. You know, there's part of me that was like, mm, I wasn't sure if I was gonna play guitar because maybe I wasn't ready, but it's like, well, now or never, you know, like there's always gonna be that first time. And, you, and then if you fail, so what? Anyone who's got any qualms with failure needs to check back in about when they learned how to walk because nobody did it right the first time. You know, they fell and they fell and they fell. And they forgot that. They forgot how much falling taught them how to walk. Again, failure is just built into the system and it's a great thing to be celebrated as well. It's like this resistance we were talking about, this block. Failure is just like, you know, every time you fail one, you know, you eliminate one more time of one more possibility of failure. So it's like something's going to take X amount of failures to get to the point where you're, you're an expert at it. So start failing. Start failing over and over again. So you start just eliminating and getting through that. You know, it's just like working through it, working through the list of failures. Oh, I failed that one. I failed that one. I mean, all great progress. Everything, 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 everything that's wonderful and great came with a long history of failures. So celebrate that you're failing because you're doing something. You know, if you're not failing anything, you're not doing anything. And if you're in your purpose, great. If you're not in your purpose and you're not failing at anything, you need, you need to go start failing at something. Because at least you're doing something. And maybe you find your purpose that way. <laughs> My goodness, this is wise, wise wisdom, man. I love it. Wise wisdom. <laughs> Today, wise wisdom. We need to talk. 
Clearly, my word choice is not the best right now. Words can't capture the way I'm feeling right now. I just feel so blessed to have this kind of conversation and transmit these learnings. We're all wise in our own ways. I'm sure we have things we can teach you, and obviously you have millions of things to teach us. I just really love it. Just real quickly, I just personally, I'm really curious. Like, you mentioned journaling. Like, what's a good journal prompt? When you're in this integration phase after a peak experience, you have that space. Like, uh, yeah. What do we journal upon? I usually say, hey, heart, how's it going? But that, that might be a little unclear. You can you can try that. You can just like literally talk to your heart and say, what's really going on there? And it may speak. Very, very, it feels separate. But you can start with abstractions. Just start writing words about to describe how you're feeling in this moment. Start talking about where in your body you feel things, what that means for you. Start... Just writing and speaking about colors and their associations. Like, literally just put a pen to paper and let things flow, with, again, without any attachment to the result. You're not trying to create a body of work. You're just letting things flow out and allowing that the riverbank to widen. You know, by allowing thoughts, forms to flow out, it's, it's cleaning up the debris and things that don't let normal flow of consciousness happen. And... So it's a practice, it's another practice, where a lot of meditations um, are asking us to maybe go within, try to maybe um, isolate ourselves from thought forms and from what we call the external. Journaling is the opposite practice, it's like letting it flow, but with an intention. It's thinking with an intention, and your intention is only to express it. And that's all you need to take it. It doesn't, it doesn't need to go anywhere. It doesn't need to solve anything. But you'll often be surprised what starts to come out. And then you have something to check back in on. You know, to, Maybe you go into a trance state almost and you write and you write and you write. And you're done. You're like, whoa. And you go back and you read your words. And I'm like, wow, this is how I really feel. Mm, okay. I might need to make some adjustments. You know? Of course. There's no goal, but there's, there's various ways. I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert to speak on journal, journaling. You know, I have my own personal way, but hey, there's YouTube and there's the internet, so look, study about journaling. Like, read. There's probably all kinds of cool prompts out there. I mean, if you have access to a computer and a phone these days, you have no excuses anymore. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, there's no excuse not to know how to do anything that you truly want to know how to do. It's just all there. So if you got a question, you know, ask the internet. It's out there already. So if you don't know how to journal, but it sounds good to you, read, like, hey, maybe what's an inspiration, creative writing inspiration, something like this, for journaling. I'm not an integrations expert. Like, I understand integration, but there's people whose their entire field of study is integration from trauma, integration from this, integration from that, and then there's also peak experience integrators, like, who work strictly as therapists for people who've come from ayahuasca or whatever. Like, it's their whole thing, you know what I mean? And they have uh, a different area of study. So, you know, that's why I refer people to, like you experienced today with the kinesiologist, like I refer people outside of myself because I'm certainly not an expert at all things. And I know there's others who can have another way for you to look at yourself and another way for you to look at yourself. And this is integration. This is like bringing in all the pieces from different areas and putting them together to, to see yourself from above, to see yourself from what we call condor, you know, and like the Peruvian shamanism, whole other topic, but yeah. condor is, you know, a bird. And so we can see our bigger picture outside of the ego frame and understand that uh, there's more to it, just what we perceive. Of course. Yeah, and I feel like I'm really aligned with my purpose leading an interview like this or leading one-on-one conversations with people because for the same reasons, like this is my gift, my kind of zone of influence. And as I hear their story, I can say, go to Rich for shamanism or go to Wendy for thinking about rethinking your purpose or go to ex-yoga teacher to help you work on that breath work. And this it's just your, really powerful. This is your service as a guide. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so as we kind of wrap up the interview, I wanted to hear your thoughts on tribe real quick. Tribe, to me and Phil, I, I know matters a lot to us. It's kind of this sense of brotherhood or community that... Um, elevates you as a person and, and gives you a, such a reason for living and existing and I know in ayahuasca and shamanism I mean in this whole like Peruvian way of doing things there's the 
Ayahuascarian and Tabacero, Ayahuascarero, yeah. There's like all these little roles, even the Perfumera, all these different roles you spoke of. And like, what does this culture of tribe that you've learned from the Amazon, what does that teach you about kind of tribe and the modern world we live in today? And how can we kind of access that and cultivate that in our own lives? I ask this from the perspective, I'm going to Kansas with my Thai wife. And we're going to a place where people in general are feeling suppressed in their purpose and they're not willing to, to take those leaps of faith and that confidence to step into their fears. And I really want to know how to how to bring that out of people and yeah, cultivate tribe. Yeah, well we're you know, there's exceptions to the rule, but we're tribal we're tribal beings. Humans work on a synergy where two people can do more work than the sum of the two individuals two people working together. My experience with the tribes, you know, it shows just this deep level of trust within each other. It's a lot about personal personal and community accountability, where people hold each other accountable. You know, group decision making for the good of the collective. A lot of a lot of the times it's not so much about what you can do to promote yourself but what you can do to promote the whole and understanding when the whole is better uh, served the individual is better served but we're talking about like you know modern tribalism you know the way it looks like be it a, a small group or a bigger group it's just finding your community how do we how, how do we bring that into our lives how do we cultivate our own tribe or how do we find our tribe in a world where there's so much more isolation and personal suffering and loneliness going on. Yeah, it's going to take some vulnerability. Again, it's going to take some, you know, putting yourself out there, going to find the things that are really calling you and maybe your fears keeping you. Like, again, how can you find your tribe if you're afraid to do something new? How can you find your tribe if you're afraid to be vulnerable and step into some discomfort? That's what's so great about communities like this one here. Uh, it's just full of people who are doing that work consistently. Like half the workshops and half the trainings here are all about de-armoring and facing your your discomfort and the shedding that comes with it and the unity that it brings. Like here, I feel tribe. I feel community deeply because we go through all these processes together. We're always, you know, facing some unknown or some discomfort in, in another workshop. Now places maybe like where you're going, maybe that's not so accessible. So you gotta be the leader in it. You know? Yeah, I feel that way right now. Someone's gotta step up and do it and I start won't. to offer. Uh, that doesn't mean you gotta you gotta be all things to all people, but at least you become a portal. So you bring people into your town who wanna guide a ecstatic dance, or you bring and maybe only two or three people show up at once, but it's just consistency, you know. Yeah. You bring people into your town or through the podcast even, you know, you're you're doing it by the spreading of information and awareness of things outside of what maybe people are in touch with in their locale. So it's the individual's responsibility to find tribe and to make themselves a part of it. Maybe take a little vulnerability. I remember one thing that occurred for me and I had to start telling other people about it. Like when I first started drinking ayahuasca and making like big shifts, big shifts in my own state of being, I suddenly realized uh, my friends I just couldn't connect with them anymore. We suddenly had different perspectives. I'm nervous about this too. When yeah, I go back. it's lonely. It's like this is this is what I tell people about the integration phase. I go, it can be lonely because suddenly you know you just don't have those things to relate to anymore with people. You were all sitting in your comforts together, and all of a sudden those comforts don't serve you anymore. So it's like you eject yourself from the nest and. Uh, Watching TV on the couch kind of mindset that I'm yeah use. Yeah, so you're going to be lonely. So more so, you have to push into your discomfort of going to find new things, new people. You know, maybe you go do something and you, you just don't like it. Okay, then move on. It doesn't mean like keep trying something if you don't like it, but it's going to be searching. It's your responsibility to find groups that are just doing something different and maybe, you know, feel your interest, feel your excitement to it. Volunteer, help, find social programs that make you feel good. You're going to meet people continuously just through your 
vision of the podcast. So already, you know, you're constantly going to be inspired over and over again and be able to look at, you know, something new to try. Yeah, that's the reality of it, you know, and then by all means, if you have to, fucking move. <laughs> but I feel like I feel like with the isolation, discontentment that you speak of, come individuals who are hungry for this type of tribe and for this type yeah. of connection. So like, I think by calling space and holding Number space, nine. like you build it and they will come. And I exactly. Sure really strongly. Exactly. You know, your awareness of it is all that's needed in the area to to start to change it. So you're aware. And uh, it's become your responsibility if you, sh- if you want to take it. You don't have to. But if you want to start cultivating a way for people to, you know, find tribe, do it. You know, make events. Make, uh, if no one else is doing it, either get out of there or do it yourself. <laughs> you know, go, either go find it somewhere else or make it happen. I've always felt called to, to make it happen there. Yeah. It's a big impetus for me starting a podcast about these topics. Thank you so much, Rich. Yeah, Appreciate you sharing this conversation. It's really, really special. <laughs> Final words is just that you have everything you need. It's just it's another meme, right? But really, if you take the time to start to invest in your own heart, your heart's voice, if you speak what you really feel deep down inside, the ones around you might not like it, but you speak what, what you really feel and it's really your truth, those ones around you that don't, don't like it, they're usually going to go away, so you don't have to deal with them anymore. And then that creates space for the people that do want to hear what you have to say, and that's that will bring you to your tribe, and that will bring your community to you. So you know, trusting in the power of your voice. Make sure your voice is, is clear and truthful, <laughs> but trusting in the power of that to really start to bring you to what you what's for you. Thank you. Yeah. So what actionable step are you going to take next? Do you have a lingering question or something you want help working through? Do you need support in doing what it's going to take to live your purpose? People of Purpose is here for you. Subscribe to the podcast and soak in the stories and words of our wonderful guests. Do you have any friends that might enjoy this episode or the podcast? Bring them on board as a podcast subscriber. If you want to actually see the guests behind the voices, as well as the purposeful people and communities I'm a part of around the world, Follow the podcasting journey on Instagram at People of Purpose Podcast. You can connect with our purpose-seeking community on Facebook at People of Purpose by liking and following our page. Know the minute each new episode is published, hear first about upcoming People of Purpose opportunities, and receive regular tidbits of inspiration and media I'm purposely perusing, pursuing, and pondering. It's simply a regular dose of goodness, intentionally filtered by me, to nourish your personal path of purpose. For the ultimate engagement, Join our intentional group, Purpose Seekers, from the Facebook page. Join in longer-form discussions, link up with accountability partners, and share in opportunities and challenges to better know and grow in your purpose. Send me a direct message on either Facebook or Instagram if you want to talk privately and receive personalized guidance on how to raise your sails and write your ship. Come forth with your biggest dreams and aspirations, and I will do my best to connect you with the necessary resources and mentors from my network to start your trek along your personal path of purpose. Cheers, and here's to becoming 